Welcome aboard Navigate to Greatness podcast, where we share how to plot the course to personal greatness. My name is Ty Foster, speaker, entrepreneur, and value coach. I'll be your host and navigator on this voyage, but you, my friend, you are the captain of this ship. You know, I believe in being guided. I mean truly guided. And my mission is to share tools and tips that help guide you to your own personal greatness. This whole podcast, this whole show is about helping people navigate to their own personal greatness. You know what I mean? Whether that's as a father, whether that's as a business person, right? Whatever they're doing work-wise, but you live your own greatness. No one's living, no, you're not living someone else's greatness, mm-hmm. you know, cause, but that's what most people do. They, they follow other people's path instead of their own. Really excited about sitting down and really putting, you know, what you do in a, in a space where people can hear that and go, what the freak? I mean, I for purposes of this this particular interview, I'm gonna refer to my guest as Mr. Fantastic, cause cause he's a superhero. You know, usually, I mean, I would say I call him Superman. Superheroes of the mind. How's Super that? superhero of the mind. But you know, when I look at your background and we've talked about the world that you were in, you were in the financial services industry, merchant process, and you were a pioneer in that. Did yep. you? You were the man, you know, but you walked away from all that. You've built up a freaking crazy income and you've walked away from it. It, right. it reminds me of a story of a guy who I look at as a mentor and has been a great influence in my life. He got offered $3.5 million to go work for another company. Mm-hmm. And he turned it down because he said it was good for him, but it wasn't good for everyone else. Of course. Now, I know me, you know, and at the time of my life when I when I when I met him, I would have taken that money. I know for sure I would have taken it. Probably nine out of ten people would have taken it, yeah. But it's knowing yours. That's that's what that's what really gets me is people who are truly authentic, who would right. know themselves. You use a word, uh the other day we were sitting down, you used the word called self actualization. Yeah. When you've become the authentic you, who you are, you're comfortable with that. I don't want to say comfortable, but you, you understand who you are. You know what you can say yes, no to. You know what you're going to do. You're predictable. Right. Um, so I guess my question is, tell me a little, give me a little bit on well, how the heck did you, how the heck did you walk away from that type of income? Cause you, like I said, you were a pioneer. Your residuals are pretty, probably pretty high. Mm-hmm. And you walked away from that merchant processing deal as a pioneer. So what you're really asking is what's the origin story? Yeah, that's what I so, really, yeah, that's you know, how, that's obviously the, uh, if you take a snapshot of anybody's life from where they are or where they've been, you know, what you're really trying to do is let's go back to the beginning and let's find out the origin story, which is kind of a reboot, obviously, of a lot of the current franchise when it comes to media, right? Be it a superhero or even a television series. Yeah. But the origin story comes from, in all honesty, very clearly stated, not having a direct driven 
clearly defined path because I lost my father at 18 due to natural causes. And then a few years later, I lost my mother to, uh, to natural causes. And so what that does for you is it allows you to be forced to ask questions that perhaps maybe you would not have had to have asked. So number one, life events do give you opportunities. Not necessarily they force you to, but they do give you an opportunity to choose. Am I going to react to this in a positive way or negative? If something happens to you today when it comes to, you know, getting a flat tire or, or maybe uh, getting some bad mail or something less effective, you get to choose that, number one. But I think what we don't realize in human science is that, A, it's a science, which means it can be managed, it can be facilitated, it can be changed, it can be manipulated, it can be, you know, real, reality can become you if you choose to be part of that process. So if someone is executing a truth or reality upon you, by default, you have to accept the fact that it's actually can be yours as well. Here's an example. My father and my um, grandparents were attorneys and, and obviously in, in law. And what I found was is that as a family, we started to understand how to prove a point based on evidence. So I'd be sitting around the dinner table as a young man, and my father would say, what's your idea? I would say my idea, and he would say, great, now prove it to me with evidence. Why do you believe what you believe? And that idea of being able to articulate yourself and try to practice that in the beginning is, I think, one of the first steps of the origin story. But second to that is the idea that in a court of law, it's perception. It is evidence against other people's evidence, and you have the ability then to prove your point or obviously not prove your point depending on that process. Meaning, just like in a debate class, you learn how to debate multiple points of view regardless of your desire to own that point of view or not. It's a practice session. And so what I found was, in my perspective, was human science was evident in everything from a religion to politics to family to business to interaction with you know, your loved ones to people you didn't like, your enemies. All of that was some kind of a human science component, and it was tied to psychology and sociology, not separate. It wasn't just mental. It wasn't just sociological. It was both. So the origin story comes from being able to be aware that I have a place in understanding that point of view, and I also can manage it. So my father once asked me, he says, prove to me that an empty glass is full of water, as if you're in a court of law. An empty glass? That an empty glass is full of water. And he was playing off the idea that this glass is half full or half yeah, empty, right? Yeah. He's like, what if the glass is completely empty? Can you still prove that it's full of water? Take that to the court and prove that. That's your, obviously, your your opponent. That's man, your this case. This was a bad dad, man. Your dad was like, he was Mr. Fantastic times 2.0, man. He was in the sense that he had a general idea of what he wanted to become. Unfortunately, in his time period, there wasn't the open dialogue that we have today about self-development and growth in human science, meaning generations have different understandings. Yeah. Obviously, technology is different as well today. Um, you know, He was 47 when he passed away and... That was almost, you know, 18 years ago. So, but what, what I came to understand was that that glass of water, it, I wasn't able to articulate in the beginning, but that glass that's empty, that could be full of water, has the potential. So that was my first, you know, crack at it. Well, it's empty, but it could be full of water. So it has potential. And that was, you know, in itself a life lesson that you could layer in and build a whole foundation of, of core values on. That even though it may not appear to be so, it could be so. Not as it is, but the, as it could the, be. The mold is created. Right. Or there's the potential for something, yeah, right? right? Meaning in every day we all wake up and can be who we want to be based on the fact that we have a day. Yeah. But then it became even more evident to me as I started to understand science that that glass was full of something. Even if it was empty of water, it was still full of air. Yeah. 
And if you take air and break it down based on perspective, it's hydrogen, hydrogen. Yeah. oxygen, <laughs> methane. It's gases, right? Yeah. And these molecules, based on perspective, so take it from the physical understanding down to a microscopic level, which is just perspective. Absolutely. You now realize that what's in the glass currently is full of air, which is principally these elements. That make up water. That make up water. And then yeah. guess what? If you freeze the glass, it would actually start to get ice crystals on the inside. Or if you heated it up, it would actually condense because outside the glass is also these molecules. Yeah. So the glass is full of these molecules. It's full of the makings of water already, just in a different form, meaning in this case a gaseous substance called air, which is in essence water. So in a court of law, I could prove to you that that glass is full of air. It's full of water because the hydrogen, oxygen, methane, and the molecules are all the same. I could show you a side-by-side -side of air and water, and you would see the combination that they're almost identical. And so in a court of law, I could prove to you that that glass, although empty by visible perception, is actually full. Right. That little exercise in itself gives you one lesson. I get to control it. I get to spin it. I get to sell it. If you're having a bad day, you get to sell that it's A, a bad day, or B, this is a learning opportunity. Here's another example of the origin story. Is it an obstacle that you're running into? Is it a problem? Or is it an opportunity? What most people do who love extreme sports is they see challenges as these proving grounds for their success. And that's a common characteristic from their psychological breakdown. The second thing you realize is that if you're going through life, seeing life as an obstacle, you're going to treat it differently. Is this bad event, this less effective event, this unsavory event that's occurring in my life, is this meant to hurt me or to help me grow? Mm -hmm. It's both. Keep in mind, it's both empty and half full. Going back to the glass metaphor, keep this in mind. If the glass is half full to me, I have to, by default, as an educated and logical and intelligent being, understand that it's half something else by default. Just as if I thought it was half empty, I would have to concede by default that the glass is half something else. By default. If I have a, a belief that it's half something, it has to be half something else. So going back to the origin story, which is how did I become the way I am, is I started to look at problems as opportunities. You don't have a problem or an issue or a negative part of you. You have an area of opportunity. We don't have a problem here, gentlemen, in this business meeting. We have an area of opportunity. The biggest battle that you have to win is the battle of private perception. So, you know, there was actually a quote I was thinking about when you thought, what was my origin story? And I think when you meet great men in this world and you have that opportunity to actually touch base with them, they come up with the same storyline. You know, this is Steve Jobs in 2005 at a commencement address. And he says, don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and your intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. So here's a great man who was actually, you know, very visionary, very intelligent, all the above, you know, quality characteristics we all seek out. And here he is later on in his life in 2005, you know, many years before he passed away, but saying to a group of people, follow your own heart. Get to know your own heart, but be aware that there is noise that is going to come into your mindset. So when you're talking about perspective, there's that same white noise or that same, you know, if you will, outside noise coming into your perspective. Even though noise and perspective are two opposite senses, there is going to be visual noise that is going to keep you from success. How big is your home? Are you driving the right car? Do you love your job? Is your wife attractive enough? Is your body attractive enough? And once you put emphasis on something outside of yourself, it takes control. You get to own what controls you. If you own something, if I own a car, I can then sell the car, right? But if I don't own the car, I can't actually then provide freedom to that car, or in this case, even an idea. 
So we have white noise that is attacking us both mentally and spiritually throughout our own time. If you're driving down the street and you're driving, let's say, a XYZ car, and you know you have a spare in the back of your car that's XYZ spare. Yeah. And you see someone off the side of the road who has the same XYZ car. Yeah. And they have a flat tire. You pull over and say, hey, by the way, can I help you out? And they say, yeah, but I don't have a spare. I can't get to my spare. Would you pull your spare that matches that car and give it to them? Well, the reality is that solves their problem in that moment in time. It gets them back on the road. And what happens next? You know, the reality is can you replace the spare, of course? Can you get the spare back from that person after their use is required? Yes. But does it solve their inherent, more drastic need at that moment in time? The answer would be, of course. But how do you know unless you stop? And this is where it goes back to your origin story. You don't stop if you're not in the right mindset or the most authentic mindset. You don't stop because your life is more important than their life. And that dictates your future. Right. Meaning if you're not in a good headspace, then when your father dies... You go against all the things that you've known to be true and you start to blame people for the quote-unquote negative that, is, that has beseeched you or fallen upon you or made you who you are. It's a different mindset. You get to control that perspective. You get to control, I ain't hearing that. Brilliant little reality. I do which, that to people. You know. well, which is, I ain't feeling that. I ain't hearing that. Yeah. Another great song, by the way, that is actually from the late 80s where there's a guy walking up to a young lady in the club and says, he says, you're pretty attractive and you know, I'd, like to, I'd like to date you. And she says, I already got a man. What's your man got? To and do what's your man got to do with me? I ain't trying to play that. See, like, like I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to front with you in a positive way. And you're yeah. like, I've got a man. Yeah. He's like, I'm not trying to be your man. Yeah, I'm trying to talk to you. Meaning, you can have a man. You can have that situation. And by the way, people in business do that all the time. It's like I already got a solution. I ain't trying to be your solution. I'm trying to talk about something else. Yeah. And so it's it's really just a, a play or a chess game, if you will, of different perspectives. And that's where the battle ends. That's the origin. Story. So origin story is how do you control perspectives and how do you play with them. Just so you guys know, when I say when I say Mr. Fantastic, I say that a crazy amount of gravity. That word, there there is good, there's great, and then there is freaking fan stinkintastic. And that's when you've kind of exceeded expectations. You are you kind of predict the situation. So you give someone you feed their needs before they even know they have needs. It's kind of a crazy mindset, but that's 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 Mr. Fantastic here. So Do you know how you do that? Human science. First, by understanding that you have to be well. A sick doctor can't heal. Yeah, there you that, that's So that if you take that saying. principle right there, which is I think people think fantastic is something you can become. It's something you actually have to give. You have to give fantastic to become that's fantastic. That's how you become fantastic. I mean, I'm not saying that I am fantastic. No, I, well, you, you want to have in my perspective, influence, then you have to first have, have influence self. You have got to have won that battle or, or that you have to own that knowledge before you can sell that or give that away, right? Yeah. And you have that right after you own it. After you own it. After, 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 after you yeah. have that experience. But every high-level sport, every high-level musician, every high-level business professional has accepted in the essence of the origin of their journey that there's going to be an immense amount of failure. And I think you, we overestimate the power of failure and frustration and the dark side of the positive because it is the only way to get where you want to go. You never watch a guy playing basketball either at the NCAA level or NBA level who misses a shot, who falls apart on the sidelines and the court and says, oh my gosh, I missed that shot. What do I do now? Because he knows in the back of the head that the best basketball players are usually you know, sitting around a 40 to 50% shooting average. In baseball, if you're batting a 300, that means you're missing six points some odd times per season. Your average is below a 50%. It's below a 40%. It's 300 out of 1,000 which means that you're failing 60 to 70% of the time and you're only making it 30% of the time. 
That's a unique concept to think truly successful business owners know how much they've lost and they laugh and joy and it becomes their their badge of honor because they, they the failures it. are their owning and that's yeah. how they got to the successes. See, and, that, and that's, a, that's a good point there. Most people, why don't they want to see? And I think becoming- Why want to fail? Be, well, to no, get no, no, to no. the top well, right well, now? What I'm saying is being authentic, right. right? Being authentic means you're like, you're you're okay with failure. You, most people try to hide. I mean, I the South, I grew up in the South and I swear, man, I, you got, what was that? Uh, the movie- Gone with the wind, yeah. Gone with the wind. And the whole story behind Gone with the Wind is that the South is rotten. You know, it's it's like they're trying to put it on has a face. Its own challenges. Yeah, right. Well, no, it's <laughs> it's got the whole days right, of yeah. hey man, we're we're having these parties and we're right. we're living the high life. The heyday, right? It's gone, but they're still trying to put on the face like it's still happening. And so, like when I look at I look at a lot of our family, like we you know we we went we've gone through a bunch of struggles, a bunch of lawsuits, and my mom she lived this lifestyle of like this. She always wanted to put on this face like she was still living that life. And I'm like, Mom, look, man, who freaking cares? But it's just that embarrassment. How do people get... Uh, well, who, how do own, we get, who owns the perspective? We do. But we're not. When we allow someone else's identity or someone else's belief in us or someone else's you know, prospect in us or someone else's opinion of us own our actions, we are allowing the white noise to suffocate our actions. Meaning when you are operating on the premise that there is an ideal that you're trying to attain... Yeah. And that ideal is external to your identity, or it's not authentic to who you are. Or worse, it is someone else's identity yeah. of what a good person should look like or a successful white person or black person should look like yeah. or what this should be or that should be. Then you start to operate on the premise that they now have control by default. See, control is something that should be shared and interacted with as a organic kind of you know, chemical space that can be given back and forth to, right? It isn't something that is static. It's something that's definitely you know in flux. But if someone is attempting to live in a life they're not, they're allowing whatever life that is to control them. It so what's, their, what, their what's the dangers of that? The dangers of that are that you become someone that is inauthentic because you're now living for someone else. You can get caught up in what they say works or what doesn't work. So you're talking about the nature of the battle of I versus me, which is psychological. It's an actual philosophy of that there's the authentic self, the I that you're born with, and the me that you grow into, which is your socialized self. And both are always at, at, at odds with each other in your mind. So the origin of a thought is, is that my thought or their thought? Does the action I'm making come from my desire, want that's authentic to self, my core self, my soul, my heart, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Or is it being you know, dictated by you know, society? What's going to inspire someone to say, you know what, I want to look in that mirror? First thing first, are you currently in a space that you can say is a effective and authentic space? The first thing to always assess, Ty, when you're talking to someone about potential change or potential modification or potential recalibration of existing lifestyles is to assess the bandwidth. That is why it's so hard for those who have so much white noise in their life, such as finances or trappings of the world or big houses, multiple cars, you name it, because they have very little time to sit down and reflect. This goes all the way back to the Christian belief of prayer. Everything in life comes from actually sitting down and actually taking a true assessment or stock of where you're at. And that only comes from the capacity and practice of being able to actually assess you in that mirror in, in, an, in an honest or candid light, as we call it. Man, I freaking love that. You know, I, I'm reading um, 
this is a Matthew, just scripture-wise, you brought up Christianity. Christ talked about having a, a private victory. And in order to have a public victory, it must be preceded by a private one. And that's that, that private victory is those meditation. That private victory is the self-evaluation. You have what I have seen as the most ridiculous regiment. So you've done the analysis of who is Mr. Fantastic. What do I want? What is my value? What are my beliefs? And then you said, all right, this is how I'm going to plan my day. And this is how I'm going to show if I'm effective or if I'm, if my relationships are effective. And you actually score your day to make sure you're always being true to self. Exactly. Dude, that is crazy. Tell me, tell me about that process. How the heck did you even come up with that? It came up because I was living in certain situations where I was not authentic. And I didn't know that it wasn't authentic because I was actually succeeding at what the world told me. I'm 23 years old. I buy my first house in suburbia. And I've got two cars, I've got two car garage, I've got two dogs, and I've got this 3,700 square foot house that I do not need. Yeah. And I'm driving in to downtown, which is a 25 to 30 minute drive, to go and enjoy a my office, which is at work, and then also some of the trappings of the social world that is a single, you know, male and right. the Western, you know, culture. And I found that I I found that I did what I was supposed to do. I went out and did the American dream. I got a house. I bought it and I had this furniture and I was buying things every weekend to fill these stupid rooms I didn't need. I mean, I had two kitchens. I had three living rooms. I had five bedrooms. And trust me, I did not need more than a one bedroom, one living room, and maybe a small kitchen. (laughs) But I followed the other people's path. I became the essence of what white noise was. Yeah. And I realized this isn't me. And you only find out where you shouldn't be after you've gone there. And that is by far the funniest, most entertaining part of this life. But so the original plan that I started creating was how do I become more authentic? How do I find my answer? Not theirs. But since there's no answer that's working out there, i got to find my own. And part of that comes from knowing that you've attained some success and that you could apply those techniques to other things. For example, in the world of uh, weight training or in the world of sports or the world of you know, business, there's always a number. Mm-hmm. You know, as a little kid, you memorize stats, you memorize you know, different players' numbers. And as an individual, you also realize that we keep score. Yeah. And that's just a way of understanding that there's a quantitative piece to everything that's qualitative. So when someone says, you know, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you like this? They're trying to find a number. Even, by the way, in, in hospitals, they ask, what's your pain yeah. threshold? Yeah. yeah and there's no. a recent movie, you know, uh, called Big Hero 6 where Baymax brings up a thing on his chest <laughs> to say, please rate your pain on a scale of 1 to 10. And, it's got the happy which is ironic because, you know, it's based on subjective reality and pain. But... So qualitative pieces become quantitative when you actually uh, associate a number to those. And that's why you score the day. Mm-hmm. So you get to design. And what I've done is I've designed what a successful day looks like. So someone might would ask me, did you have a good day? I'm like, yeah, I can tell you I had a good day because I've scored it. Or how did you do last month on your goals and your objectives? Well, first you have to actually you know, have goals and objectives. But then the only way to truly track that is to give yourself a percentage. Biggest problem of most sales organizations is accountability. Because they know the system. They know what they have to do to do it. Or someone has proven success. You have to find out how many hours it takes. And they've done studies with this, with psychology and sociology, that they call it the 10,000-hour rule. Yeah, yeah. That's a quantitative number to the process of becoming great. Yeah, and so what I'm getting at is that if these things have been proven time and time again through thousands of years of human development and human science, why not heed the fact that we're still talking about the basic principles of being human? So that's how you create that plan. And, and it is a bit archaic and a bit difficult. But once you start to break it down, things start to become a little bit more simple and more manageable based on pieces. Yeah, well, I mean, you, when you – what would you how – would, how would somebody even start that? 
You know what I mean? Like how well, would good. So you start with the, the desire and want, meaning what is your threshold for appetite? And by the way, that's the first step to anything. So let's What's say your appetite I, to like go out. I, I want to go out to strip clubs every night. Like if that's yeah. my appetite. If that's your appetite, then you need to build a plan to get you to that that plan. You don't think that that's wrong? I, I wouldn't say that I have the right to tell you what's right or wrong. What I will tell you is do your actions and do your activities and do your plans actually serve your objectives? Meaning is it effective or less effective? Here's an example. Here in the United States of America, we were sitting idly by on September 10th having a good day. Everything was well. We were trying to figure things out. We had just gone through a huge financial crisis. And on the morning of the September 11, 2001, someone in a foreign country with their belief system and their moral capacity and their intelligence decided to elicit harm on our people. So we then, in turn, took our moral capacity, our belief system, and our ability to affect change and went into their country and took their lives. You tell me which one of those is right or wrong. I can't tell you. I mean, there are people who believe that you know, we should have retaliated and there are people who said we shouldn't have. You have to ask yourself, does this activity serve my goal or objective in an effective way? Meaning, if your goal is to meet a young lady in a particular environment that wants to be with you for money, then I think the strip club is a great place to meet her. But if you're trying to find a good wholesome girl who's at that strip club by chance, you're probably going to have a hard time doing that. We had an experience, you and I, where it is the day of the last part of the quarter, the last part of the month, and we were trying to meet with a business owner who probably has other things going on in his mind, especially at that time in his life, especially right before taxes are due, right? Yeah. So you look at that situation, you just have to know, is the juice going to be worth the squeeze? I can't tell you what squeeze of juice you want, but I can tell you if you're looking for an effective action, we can reverse engineer that and find out what's best for you in your situation. Is it probable that we all just come to this planet, we have all these experiences, and we then die, and that's all there is? Or is it probable and or maybe evident to some that there is actually a beginning before experience and a post-experience, which is more logical? Well, in some people's minds, because of their paradigms, they think it's more logical that people are born and die, and that's the nature of, of obviously, the biology of our lives. People who have had experience with their divinity or their soul or in their religion or, or spiritual experience, it's more obvious to them that, well, gosh, of course there's a, there's a God. Of course there's a higher power. There's a higher being. I don't have to eradicate the other person because if I was to sit down and talk to that other person who had a different opinion or a different truth, I bet there's some, some similarities there based on that premise, which where do we base our truth at? And this, of course, goes into psychology and sociology. We can go in circles, but... I can tell you that in, in a law environment or where there's actual desire to want to find truth together, you can find commonalities. That's the kicker is where does your desire yeah, come from. Yeah, desire though. Desire. But that goes back to the appetite. So if I have an appetite to make it work with my wife, I'm going to make it work. If I have an appetite to throw all my relationships out the window once they become unfavorable, I'm going to easily throw them away. And that's why divorce happens. Divorce happens because we give ourselves an option because of our appetite. Yeah. Back in the day, they still had problems. Back in the 50s, they had less divorce, but they still have problems. The key is, do I have a higher desire to make it work or do I have a higher desire to just bait, kit, you know, kit and run? It's up to you. But that's where you get to sit down and discuss that. So that's why it's so important to know your truths so that when you sit down with somebody you love and someone that has value, you can discuss what are your truths. What are your principles? What are my principles? And let's find out if they're actually compatible because mm -hmm. that's inner peace. That's truth. Finding alignment, right? Wow. Not right or wrong. Like I said, man, the Mr. Fantastic does it again. Ah, it's, just, it's just science. It's just fun to play it's with. It's just science. So you have a very non-emotional attachment to... Just the opposite. It sounds like it's a very, very black I use, and white. I use black and white in logic to prove my emotional state. 
In a world where it's so much, someone's always trying to sell you something, and you can find someone who, despite all that, can live themselves. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to that personality because. But go back to what you're saying about entertaining and having an audience. Well, I just, I, I remember growing up struggling with, am I playing football for me? Mm-hmm. Or am I playing football because it's what I've done my whole life and everyone expects me exactly. to do it? There's a funny story about that same concept. Yeah. I have an uncle, and this goes back to the origin story. I have an uncle who was a very successful surgeon. Yeah. And he realized that he couldn't stand medicine. He literally threw away his practice and went back to school to become an attorney because he wanted to be a politician. And he actually ended up doing that. What's intriguing, uh, intriguing to me or entraining to me, and that was what I was going to say, which is my own word, but if you have those storylines, if you have those experiences or those testimonies, someone testifying about the ability of taking a path, realizing it's not authentic, and throwing it away and starting a new one to find out that this path was no longer suited to his objectives. This was no longer affected to what I truly want. Mm. That right there is confidence in your ability to take an unknown path to go down that path, to go down the path of unknown to find your path. Meaning you have to accept the fact that where you're going currently isn't going to get you there. But that comes from obviously sometimes going down a path that doesn't get you there. You asked what the origin story was or, or what brought us to fantastic interaction or you know, a common fantastic process, meaning great. Let's just say greatness, right? I would venture to say that it's a three-step process. And we like threes because it's obviously a prime number, so going back to numbers. But I would say first you have to assess what it is that you want to be. You have to go back to the drawing board, go back to the workshop, go back to your space, and define and or delineate or clarify or list, however you do it in your world, whiteboard it is what I like to do, but at least establish this list of characteristics or this this template of what you want it to be. So you have to first go back to yourself and say, okay, this is what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And then the second step is going to be, are my actions, are my daily functionalities, the time I allocate at work, the time I allocate with my loved ones, are those serving in an efficient way that list? So does number two serve number one? So first, d- decide what number one is, you know, whatever those characteristics are, and then evaluate the effectiveness of number two, which are those actions. So it's easy to look at your life and say, I'm spending 40 hours a week, which is a big chunk of my life, making money for my family. But when I get home, I don't want to spend time with my family. So how am I really serving my family if, in number one, you say, I want to be a good father? Yeah. you got to ask yourself, what makes? I've got a little fun? brother that I love to death, but he makes a lot of money and he can't stand spending time with his family sometimes. Because they're kind of crazy and families are that way. Kids are, well, kids and wives are, well, wives sometimes. But does he want to be a good father? He thinks that making a lot of money and putting money into an account and providing for the the family to have trips is a good father. father. Here's what my father did when we were younger. For Christmases, we would actually spend, you know, for many years in in the same pathways for so, you know, between the age of 13 and, you know, 17 or so. We would actually leave, you know, our home in the holiday season after Thanksgiving and go out to... South America or Central America or Mexico and actually serve the Native American people. And we would get one gift on the 25th. So my Christmases were not big Christmas trees, lots of wealth and lots of toys. They were in these foreign countries learning languages and being with people who had nothing and giving them food and giving them gifts and building up the hospitals and all the things that you know need to be done in some of these communities. And we would get one gift. And I tell you, that changed the way I understood. But go back to that process of one, two, and three. So one, define what I want what the meaning of the season is, for example, then what do I want my family to do? And does this activity do that? We can take the same amount of money we spent on Christmas and do it for somebody else. 
or do it for ourselves, which is going to get us the best bang for the buck, right? The ROI. And number three is this. Does my one and my two match the people that I spend my time with? Meaning I'm in a social in- environment. And does one and two actually coincide, have congruency, or is in alignment with the group I, hand- I spend my time with? And you spend quite a bit on that. When you're scoring oh, yourself, yeah. you score. And, yes. and how do you evaluate? We have a process on Navigate the Greatness on evaluating who our people are. But how do you determine who do you keep in your life or not based on these one and two? So you're saying give me more of more clarity on So what would happen match. is if I've established a, a very and, – and, and you've said already and I would you know, concede that it's correct or at least in alignment that I spend a lot of time on one. <laughs> I have a very robust, very detailed number one, meaning what's important to me, what I want to be, what I don't want to be, what things I think are valuable to me. I mean, all the, you know, the guru world that you talk about, know, know thyself, right? I've spent a lot of time there and I spend a lot of time there. Um, I probably allocate between five and six hours in the calendar week just to that pursuit. And you would think, well, gosh, after you would define one, shouldn't you just stick with it? Now, one is always changing. You're always modifying yourself as, as it, it interacts with the world, right? As you get data back from your experiences. And number two, obviously, is really where you start to, to really evaluate your actions, right? You start to put a, an action plan in place and then you have to go back and evaluate that. But this is the kicker. So three is where most of the data comes back from. So if you set one and two in place, you want to define who you are as a person or at least know that person. You then start to evaluate, do my actions serve that? Is it effective, right? Then you really get to get the result in three. Perfect example. I want to live happily in the sense that I want to be happy with what I have financially and from a material standpoint. I want to feed myself. I want to be in these characteristics. You define that one. You then say, great, does my job provide me that opportunity? Does my functionality of going to the gym every day provide me that opportunity, right? Both health, you know, fiscal, whatever it is. But then the real results show up in three. Because if I'm at the gym, on a Saturday or Friday night at 8 o'clock because I've already established number one that I don't want to go out to clubs or I don't want to be out in the world spending money at places and, and getting lost in society, then I'm going to meet different people than I would have met if I was out doing other things. Yeah. There are other people in my physical space in number three and you know the people you're spending time with at that gym at that time because there are other people in the pursuit and that's how you find clarity. That's how you find alignment. That's how you find fantastic because the people who are also fighting the same battle you're fighting in that space are going to get you there. That's why I left banking because over time you start to realize that the people you're spending time with are not incongruent. They're not in alignment with your goals and objectives. And so the results of one and two are shown with tremendous clarity in number three. Wow. So it's kind of like your, your uh, I guess it would be your grade or your looking glass or it, that would be your mirror of your the, life, which the, is the who am I surrounding myself with? If you yeah. wake up one morning, you're like, I don't like where I'm at because you're in L.A., is that effective to your goals and objectives? Not is it right or wrong? And if you can come and say, that, yeah, it's effective, then let's make that happen. So when three doesn't make sense, you sit, you go to go back to one and two and find the better solution. Right there. I, oh man, that's beautiful.